Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Make Happiness episode. It's been a long-ass time, but I'm your host, Ian Price. I'm Eli, your co-host and producer. And I'm the third guy hanging out in the room, Alex Price, Ian's uh, older brother. Yeah, so we're doing another little brother episode, but I'm super excited because this is a special one. We're just going to be solely talking about ultra-endurance biking and ultra-endurance racing. Um, we just kind of started getting into it this year, and it's going to be really fun conversation. I can't wait to talk about it, so I think we should jump right in. Uh, first thing I wanted to ask and talk about is kind of like, what does ultra-endurance mean to you? Um, well... I think technically it's defined like uh, an ultra marathon, right? Is anything longer than a marathon and an ultra endurance bike event, um, a century is a hundred mile ride. And so I think the vast majority agree that like the ultra endurance bike race is anything over 100 miles. So mm-hmm. it's like a class of race kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, just kind of defines, uh, the distance you're going and the, usually there's, a no rest stops or amenities provided typically they're like kind of unsupported you got to do it yourself yep um which is another level of difficulty compared to other races where you've got a rest stop every 10 miles and get water food and that kind of thing uh i was curious too like when we i don't know the kind of the root of starting of this because a lot of these races like you're saying there's no amenities there's nothing why did we get into this why are we trying to do all these different races this year sure um i think the root of it was a race that we're trying to get into this winter, a winter endurance race. And you have to basically prove that you have the capabilities of what this race requires just to be able to get accepted as a, a racer in, into the application process. And that kind of pushed us to look at what kind of endurance races we can do this summer and fall leading up to it to kind of build up a racer resume, if you will, to meet all those prerequisites. And that's kind of, we missed the cutoff for one race, and then there was the Alexander 380 was the first one we did, and that one was free, so free is always good. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was a big uh, big push to get us to do that one. Well, it wasn't free. We had to send in a postcard, so it was like, ah, what, right. 50 cents? Yeah. Dude, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. Got to pay for postage. But that was a cool one. Um, well, when we were signing up for that, so this is that Alexander race was kind of the the very first ultra endurance like race we've ever done. And that was the first thing of getting into it. Right. Yeah. And I think at that point, the most, the longest distance we had ever ridden in one go was 120 miles or something. Yeah. Um, so that, this was a big leap cause this was 380 miles and it wow. wasn't on pavement. Everything was on gravel roads in Southern Minnesota, kind of by the, uh, Mississippi river Valley. And if you've ever been down there, you're familiar with the area there are a lot of hills and that was another thing that was pretty intimidating for us going into it so uh yeah sending in that postcard was a pretty big commitment for (laughs) the two of us yeah we i was gonna say so what's the timeline of like your whole racing career that you've been doing this because you've been doing it for a little while now so like give the listeners a little bit of a timeline of sort of which like like which was your like your first sort of official race doing these ultra endurance type races and Right. as to where you are right now well so that's the other thing too we grew up mountain bike racing and doing bike racing so that whole realm of things has been pretty uh you know apparent to us we've been involved in it that kind of thing but they've only been like 20 mile races or less exactly yeah nothing of this caliber so this is like a new door we've kind of opened this year um so we did the first that one was in may the alexander and then we did one one was the next one in august um after like, that yeah we did the 
Wausau at the end of July, the yep. Wausau 24-hour race, which was mountain biking. Yep. And then the following weekend, we did the day across Minnesota. So we've really done three races so far that are pretty... Extensive. Insane. Yes. Yeah. We also did another one that was the Duluth Challenge that we did ourselves, where we biked oh, to Duluth yeah. and back in under <laughs> Yeah, that's so hours. insane. The so, first time, I, rem- I don't know, I can't remember if we talked about it on any of the previous ones, because when did you do that? No, well, we attempted it once. We So we attempted it before that, that first 380-mile, the Alexander 380. Yeah. We did it before that. We attempted it because we had no idea what we were doing for yeah. this long race. We were like, well, we got to get comfortable with biking while we're sleep-deprived. we got to be comfortable sitting on the bike for over 10 hours, all this other stuff. So we're like, where could we bike to just get that amount of time and that amount of miles in the saddle? And so we're like, well, let's bike to Duluth. Like, we know that's about <laughs> 170. And, well, let's see if we can go there and back and just do it straight through and see how far we can get and we left at 11 p.m on a friday and we had way too much gear with us our bikes were really heavy um we were unfamiliar with this whole environment of biking and we got up there we made the mistake of biking across the city over to uh, Fitkers to get like burgers and fries and some food there Mm -hmm. and that added a ton of time and then we had to bike back and it's a 14 mile uphill uphill out of out of duluth other than that it's flat it's flat the whole way but that that's the one hill and uh well we are also holding a pace of like 20 miles an hour the whole way to duluth on our way up there because we didn't know about like pacing ourselves yep (laughs) we didn't know that you should go slow and conserve your energy (laughs) yeah it's just so easy to just keep it's like if you're in like a nice sports car or like a faster car than you're used to and you're going down the highway and you're like you look down and you're like, oh, all of a sudden I'm going like 100 miles an hour just because mm-hmm. the car does it so effortlessly. And when we're on this flat paved road the whole way there, we're like, you're just cruising. oh, we're, we're going 20 miles an hour. Like, let's just keep it going. And then later we uh, we felt the repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. We reached uh, like mile 240 or something yep. when we stopped and kind of called it quits. Yeah. I was not doing good on nutrition and I was trying to eat a lot of solid food and that kind of thing. And my body couldn't digest it quick enough or metabolize it to give me energy and i was just totally exhausted and was doing the math and if we had kept riding we had a a little over 100 miles left to go at that point and it would have put us back home at about four in the morning and i was already getting tired and sleepy and i didn't want to fall asleep on the bike because i knew as soon as the sun went down like that's what makes your eyes kind of get droopy Mm -hmm. so what kind of things did you take away from that like you know you're talking about food like solid foods do you take a certain type of food with you like on these endurance races so uh food is a big one um eating solid food is good and eating real foods is really important obviously you want stuff that's like salty and electrolytes that's what everybody talks about with Mm -hmm. races because you're losing salt in your sweat um there's a a mix that our dad told us about it's called spiz s-p-i-z but it's you're gonna give away our secret uh, the people got a secret formula It, it is honestly this thing is amazing but i guess it was developed by a a surgeon that um for people in um like the icu or whatever that yeah. couldn't couldn't eat food and they needed to get all their nutrients so it's got everything across the board that your body needs for like a full meal calories and like all of the other things that your body needs to be able to break down those nutrients and so it's just a powder mix like a whey protein or whatever but it's not whey protein it's this whole other thing and there's a chocolate one and a vanilla one and that's it but it never took off in the medical industry. But there's these racers that do the race across America. Mm-hmm. They literally go across the whole U.S. 
and this is what they use. They don't sleep. Just they don't chug eat. In the they shakes. just you drink it in a water yeah. bottle, and it's liquid, so your body doesn't have to break it down to give you energy. It mm-hmm. kind of gets turned into wow. You're just, just absorbing all these quicker. calories, yeah, because. On some of these races, we're burning like 15,000, 20,000 calories. And like, that's a lot of food that's to take insane. in while you're on a bicycle. Yeah. And uh, we kind of talk about it, it's like a chocolate milkshake. It honestly tastes pretty good. Like, it's not it's not that bad. I know some of the uh, electrolyte powders and some other stuff are really sugary and just kind of like yeah. leave like a film inside your water bottle. things and... that are good for you don't typically taste good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like that chalky consistency. Yeah. Like this one, honestly, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. But I love it and I just like am obsessed with it now because it, it, it's the secret weapon, dude. It gets you through it. How do yeah. you how do you get it? Uh do you have to like we buy it online. They oh. just ship it. The real the full name is called Spizz Rectum, but we just call it Spizz. Yeah. Cause that sounds gross. That's hip. <laughs> <laughs> uh so going I want to touch back on that first ultra race because like going with the Alexander 380, after we did the Duluth ride, we kind of like destroyed ourselves on that. And then we were just like reassessed. We we're like, all right, so this is what we didn't do right. We tried to live off of like granola bars and goos. Yeah. That was not a good idea. And gels and like the gummy, you know, cliff bar gummy thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, after that, we did a couple more centuries, didn't we? Like we did one to Red Wing and. Yep, we went down and pre-rode some of the course on the gravel because that was yeah. another thing. We we had never ridden gravel. This was a whole new uh, race setting for us because mm-hmm. all we've done are mountain bike trails and pavement, really. So we went down there and pre-rode some of the course, got familiar with some of the hills. Um, a lot of the course goes on what's called minimum maintenance roads. Roads. Uh, MMRs. Yeah, they call them MMRs. But for us, that was the coolest part because coming from a mountain bike background, they're just like these ATV trails with rots and... No. They're tractor trails. There's not ATVs on them. <laughs> Some of the farmers, they got like their gators or side-by-sides, you know, those things. Yeah. But there's just these huge ruts and rocks and logs and like you're just bushwhacking through the woods. And so everybody else is breaking and slowing down and Ian and I were just flying down these hills. <laughs> but then you go up some of them and those ones really sucked. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I wanted to mention too, for the this first ultra race we did, we did it supported. So our dad was there with us because mm-hmm. we had no idea what we were doing. And, you know, it was our first like huge race. So he bought like he rented out a u-haul the smallest u-haul you can rent it's like a five five by five or something yeah but he uh the plan was to sleep inside of the u-haul and like we had some a bunch of extra food that he had prepared so he'd meet us at like certain spots along the race like every 40 to 60 miles or so or something like that yeah and he would have like a plate of food ready he would have a like a igloo you know one of those giant what are those water like uh, a water cooler like with the spigot on the bottom so you can just fill up yeah and then so we could just refill waters eat some food like warm like good food and then we could just get on the bike and go which is super awesome yeah i think that was our biggest advantage was having that available Mm -hmm. and ready but uh so that was really cool and when we uh when we first started getting in the first 200 miles of that race honestly were pretty good like we were we were doing a lot better than we thought we were and we had like we were i was surprised with how comfortable my body felt well, and it was nice, too, because we had left the start line with, like, I don't know, 15 other people or whatever. There were not a ton of people at this race. Yeah. And we left at midnight, and everybody, like, you know, the gun goes off, whatever they say, go. And you, you just picture everybody sprinting to go down this road, and everybody takes off at a leisurely 10 miles an hour. Yeah. And is just casually riding down the road because you have 400 miles in front of you. And so being with other riders and not on our own where we're pushing ourselves and like, oh, yeah, we feel... 20 feels good. Let's just hold this. Right. It was nice to be with them and just like, nope, reel it in, go a little bit slower. And then 
slowly like crept up to like 15 miles an hour and so i think that was a big thing that helped us to feel really good and then uh when that was really fun having that group of uh all of us going and then is like when we started going up to 15 miles an hour then there's like a little like five man pack that broke off with (laughs) we were in the five man pack and then we start getting a little bit further ahead and then it was just us like four guys i don't remember who it was but yep uh, so that was pretty crazy. We we started realizing like, oh wait, we're in the front. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how if this is a good thing or what. And so yeah, just to be clear, our mindset going into this was just to finish the thing. We were like, whatever happens, like let's just like we want to do it. We got to finish it, and it's not a timed event. There's no time cut off. Yeah. It's just go out there and just ride this course, and that's all. That's all it is. It's just about having fun and riding your bike. Yeah, our goal was just to finish it so we could say in the uh, application for Arrowhead is that like, hey, we did this 380 mile race. Like, you know, we're totally capable of 130 miles in the winter. But so after we started breaking away with uh, those other guys, I was just like, holy shit, like we're in the front. I don't (laughs) think I think we should dial it back a little bit. And you're just like, no, let's just sit in the draft. Like we're feeling good. Like we got dad's got food for us ready and i was just like all right like we're just for doing this and so that was the other thing that was super helpful is we knew the course we had kind of looked at the map and we knew where the big elevations were and uh, where we go through towns and so the first rest stop was in red wing or rest stop the first town you go through is uh red wing any quick trip is a a rest stop because that's (laughs) that's where you got your amenities any gas station you fill a water bottle yeah um so we knew the first one was in Red Wing, and then like 15 miles past that, you hit uh, Lake City, which is the next one. And so we were like, another 15 miles, like we can get there with without stopping to fill up water. So we blew past the first gas station. I think a lot of other people stopped. Yeah. And uh, having that knowledge ahead of time, just like, oh yeah, we're good here. We'll just hit the next one and spread out that gap a little bit further. And at that point, we were the ones in front. Like everybody else was behind us. Yeah, because everyone stopped at that first spot. Uh-huh. And then when we got to the second uh, gas or that uh, the gas station in Lake City, we stopped because that was you know what we were thinking to refill on waters and, and food and and I really had to take a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so Alex is sitting inside, um, like alleviating his bowels, and I was watching the bikes. I see the two guys that we were riding with pass us. He looks over. He he looks over at me while I'm sitting there, and then. I just kind of had that like racing and competitive instinct from the mountain bike background of just like, Oh shit. Okay. Now we got to go. So I ran inside quick to yell at Alex and he was just like, we got to go. We got to go. And he's running out with his pants around his ankles. (laughs) Toilet paper trail behind him. (laughs) Well, and you were saying they were about to stop. They were slowing down to come in and like stop there too. And then they saw us sitting there and then just kept going. Yeah. Oh, it's that kind of mentality where it's like, this is our opportunity you know, you, to You make to eye get contact, ahead. and then you're like, all right, we're going. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And then that was kind of like what started the fire, because our instincts of like racing mountain bikes were just like, all right, well, now we got to catch them and like see if uh-huh. we can keep up. Yeah, but our, our novice minds didn't realize you've got 300 miles left. Like, it's a long, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, they got to stop sometime, too. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, a fun race. We learned a lot, and um, yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask actually something before we move on. Um, yeah. As far as like the course, how do you study a 400 mile course? So it depends race to race. So that race, they, um, we, a lot of us use Garmin GPSs on the bikes. So that okay. way you can track your speed and elevation, all that stuff, whatever. But there's also a map function on there cause it's a GPS. Mm-hmm. And so some races they'll actually give you the course map ahead of time. And oh, so okay. it's like a digital file that you can upload to your, your GPS. So we're literally just following a map on our little bike computer 
which is super convenient and handy to have. And that way we can look at the map on the computer ahead of time and it shows you all the elevation changes and uh, what cities you're going through and that kind of thing. Um, and then also what pavement you hit and what's going to be like a gravel road cutting through some farmer's backyard kind of thing. <laughs> well, there was uh, the race that we just finished, the day across Minnesota, the dam. That one was, there was no GPS route at all. We had to use cue sheets, which is kind of the traditional way of doing it, ultra races. And something we'd never done. Yeah, that was a whole new thing for us. But you basically get like, I don't know, like a eight by eight like sheet of paper that basically says like, turn at this road turn like go left at the fork or like stay right Old on the fashion direction yeah. yeah but it's got the mileage too so you know at like mile 15 you've got this fork in the road mile yeah. 16 you got right on the T. oak road or whatever that kind of thing mm-hmm. so that, that was kind of smartphones you'd have to download the map quest things and print those out and figure out how to get there uh-huh. yeah yep but uh that was kind of cool because you at the start you get those you get like the first set and then you have to get to the first checkpoint and that's when you get the next set of cue sheets so you only can see as far as the next checkpoint okay so like you get to this checkpoint then you get a new set to go to the next one and then the next one and then the finish gotcha but that was a i honestly really liked it because it kind of took away from always looking at your gps it was kind of more like okay i gotta remember to turn here it was keeping your brain more engaged i think something to focus on like yeah a a distraction in a sense but like in the best way yeah because when you're riding with a hundred 200 plus mile race it's like you your mind can't think about anything other than my legs hurt you can't look too far ahead type things yeah otherwise you'll get distracted by what what's 200 miles up rather than like what's 10 miles up exactly Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to talk to you and go into the little er, uh, section talking about like the mentality during these long rides. So like, you know, what's the, what does it look like trying to overcome all those battles of your physical and your mental and all that kind of stuff? Well, so the first experience with that is probably that Duluth challenge that we tried. Um, It just broke me. Like the first time where you're just like, oh, I feel really shitty right now. And then it's like, yeah, we could get a ride back. Yeah, it's going to get dark and cold. And it was, this was like spring too. I think that was March or April and there was snow on some of the trail. Yeah. And that was the thing. We didn't bring winter gear. So like we, it, it was pretty cold on the Were ride you feeling up there. it then? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We was, didn't plan at all. We had no idea what we were doing. We still don't know what we're was, doing. <laughs> well, on the ride up, it was in the morning and it was like 35 degrees or something. Wow. And like it was nighttime and the sun started cresting up over the horizon. It's like, okay, it's finally going to get warmer. And then, like, we stopped to eat some, like, breakfast snacks or whatever on the trail as the sun's coming up. And then it dropped down to 30. Yeah. It's just, like, there's no winning. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, back to your question, like, the get it, overcoming those um, spots where you're just really beat down. I think after doing the Alexander race and knowing that our dad had food or whatever at the next stop, and it wasn't thinking about, like, we've got to do another 300 miles. It's like, okay, we got to do the next 50 miles. Or, like, we got to do the next you know, 70 to get to where he's at and that kind of thing. And it just breaks it up. And so that gave us something to focus on that made it a little bit easier. But then when you're going through those times where you're like, my legs hurt, I can't do this. You just kind of push through it or think about something else. Like we had music. That was a big thing. We put together a playlist with like two days worth of music on it. And I just downloaded it to my phone because I knew I wouldn't have service. Mm-hmm. And then we just played that on the Bluetooth speaker um, just to give you something to distract from all the physical pain that your body is going through. And we've learned from this that you kind of go through those points where you're really down and then like half hour goes by or hour goes by, whatever. And then you're like feeling really good again. Yeah. And so it kind of comes in waves. It's just this like sinusoidal wave that goes up and down and up and down. And if you can know that there's going to be another high point and there's going to be another trough, but you Mm -hmm. know that there's going to be another 
high where you just like gotta Feel get good. back to that point and yeah. just ride that wave as long as possible that's like a metaphor for life in general i think it is <laughs> and yeah. it's a very literal uh experience yeah. on some of these rides yeah <clears throat> yeah some of the like on this last uh uh the day across minnesota race we did in august like the wave for me is always for some reason it's like right in the middle of the race so right when you're like just over halfway <laughs> i'm always just like swearing i'm in such like agony and i just want to quit and i absolutely hate everything about it's every... pretty funny some of the words that come out of his mouth <laughs> i just like i yeah everything and i will complain about everything i'm just constantly yelling every, and and you're just like i'm never doing this again we're not, we're, <laughs> we're not doing this next year and then we finish the race and you're like that's awesome we gotta come back i'm like Dude, <laughs> it's those highs and lows, man. I know, I know. It's just so funny. Yeah, for some, I don't know what it is, but I go through. It's always in the middle of the race. It happened with the other, like some of the other ultra races we've done. But and then after that, I start coming back up. And towards the end of the race, when it's the last fifty miles, maybe it's like because I can know that the end is near. I know the finish is really yeah. close, so I'm just like eager to get done. I you have more energy. Boost. Yeah, that was our thing with the Alexander 382. That first one we did, the gravel race. We got halfway through it and it sucked and we hated it and we wanted to be done. And we were just like, the motivation at that point was like, let's just get to the finish. Like mm -hmm. we just want to be off the bikes. Like that's all that the motivation was. And mm -hmm. that was enough to just keep the fire fueled for getting us back home. But yeah, man, those last like 40 miles were like the longest. Well, you were saying for your, on the day across Minnesota, you're like, you were really hurt in those last 40 miles. You were completely beat. Yep. It was hot, ran out of water, started cramping. Um, it was, it was tough that one well we pushed really hard the first half too which we shouldn't have done but we were really eager we had high expectations for this race and we yeah. were pushing it a little too hard i think and just like our ride to duluth it came back to bite me in the ass but i i expected it i knew that we had pushed ourselves too hard and i knew that that was a possibility of coming up later in the race so i was trying to plan for that and give myself a little bit of a buffer to recover before i hit that wall mm -hmm. but that, but, that wall still comes yeah right <laughs> for these mental sort of and physical blocks that you guys go through you know up and down what do you guys talk with like each other um i'm sure you talk to each other but do you guys like, like talk to other racers what what kind of things do you like think about or do while you're on a bike for 10 hours 12 hours if we're with other racers yeah some of these longer ones it gets real spread out it just depends how many people are doing it um the day across minnesota when we were riding with this other guy that was also doing it unsupported because we we opted to do that one without a support crew um and he was riding with us for quite a while and we were chatting with him a little bit but we'd ask like hey man like how you holding up how you doing because like we were visibly in pain or like audibly you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> not feeling good at points and just like how, how are you doing and he's just like i'm okay like, dude give me something like just show some emotion it's a power that? move he didn't want you to know he was uh, also know, suffering yeah. But then on some of the hills, you just fall back, and yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, he's hurting too. <laughs> yeah, because we'd be up at the top of the hill, and he'd be like, you know, 200 feet behind us. We're just like, oh, he fell back, and then he'd catch back up in the flat yep. spots. And then we look forward and look back, and he's right on our wheel again. It's yeah. Like, what the hell, man? This guy's an animal. <clears throat> but uh, it definitely helps talking to each other. Uh, like, we're always trying to amp each other up here and there, just like motivate us. Like, dude, like, we got this. We've, you know, look at how many, all the other races we've done. If we've done that one, we can do this. Like, I think it definitely helps having uh, like camaraderie between two people. I can't because when you're doing it solo, you know you have no one to talk to other than the like yeah. the ghosts and the fucking animals that are the voice in your head. Yeah, yeah, you start seeing some weird stuff. <laughs> That's the thing though. Like, it seems pretty often that when we're going through these ups and downs, like the other one is the opposite. Yeah, and everybody I've talked to about doing these longer races, I mean, for obvious reasons, it's significantly better when you got a group of people or more than one person. Mm -hmm. 
Um, cool. I wanted to... Uh, so yeah, we talked about the ups and downs, the mentality. Let's uh, go talk a little bit about nutrition because that also kind of plays a big part with water. You were talking about how you, you we ran out of water the last 15 miles of this last race. Yeah. How do we how do we go about planning for water now? Well, so like I was saying for that one, so that was a uh, 240 mile gravel race from South Dakota to Wisconsin where we crossed the state of Minnesota, mm-hmm. and so um, there were three checkpoints in the middle, one every 60 miles just to break it up into even chunks. And so we opted to do it unsupported. A lot of people that do this race do it supported where there's a like support crew driving a car that will meet them at each of those three checkpoints and they can have food, water, whatever, but they can only meet the racer at those checkpoints. And so a lot of other people would sit there for 15, 20 minutes, you know, sit down in a chair, take a rest, have their support crew like re-grease their chain and like pump up their tires, whatever they need to do for the bike to tune it up. And we literally pulled in stop to get our cue cards for the next, uh, you know, 60 miles to the next checkpoint. And some of them would have water. We didn't know if they would have water and stuff for us, but they a lot of times had at least like those igloo coolers. So we'd just stop, fill up our waters quick, and then just be out of there. And mm-hmm. everybody else is spending like 15, 20 minutes at least chilling. So um, we did that. And then, but also, like you were saying, that last 15 miles or whatever, it was like the peak of the afternoon, and it was a really hot, humid day. And we're in the middle of farm fields in southern Minnesota, yeah, and there's no shade anywhere. No, nothing. <laughs> how much? How much water did you have on your bike? Um, so on my bike, I had five water bottles, um, two on the fork and three in the triangle of the bike frame. Wow. And we went through all of it. And a lot of people were looking at us like, "Why do you have so much water?" And like, <laughs> you kind of need it. Even yeah, even yeah. doing it supported. Like I don't know. That was barely enough for me. Maybe I just drink a lot of water, but it was a lot, or it was really tough to get to the next checkpoint once it got really hot out without using all of that water. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big thing. The last checkpoint, they had the, these ice cold, ice cold Coca-Cola ice cans. Cold. Cold. Uh, it was, I'm just thinking about it. My brain's turning to mush. I'm like, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> but that was amazing. And so, yeah, filled up all five there. And then we had 60 miles to go. And we're like, let's just finish this thing. And, um, yeah, last 50 miles, that was like... The, the hilliest part of the ride too because yeah. all of the hills are once you get to the wisconsin border and you're hitting that river valley and um they're just all these plateaus of farm fields that you're going up and down and up and down and ran out of water we're looking at these cue sheets and you can see the next few um turns or whatever and we're like okay so like 10 miles it's downhill we hit a downhill down into the city and then at five miles we hit pavement so it'll be easier to bike we're not on gravel anymore so we're trying to break it up I'm like it's going to get easier and easier like literally had maybe like four to six ounces of water in my one water bottle left and i'm just sipping the smallest sips trying to make this last and make me feel somewhat hydrated but it's so much better at that point it's like water is just the only thing keeping you going and that's like i know i can get 10 miles without water like i know mentally i can do that but i had been having headaches and i felt really fatigued and Mm -hmm. like you know heat exhaustion was kind of a real thing uh, a thing in the back of my mind but i'm like i know i can do 10 miles like that's a ride into work like from our house in richfield to where i work and so that was you know this is this is nothing it's 10 miles i can do that and i just kept getting these headaches and just felt really fatigued and i was telling ian at one point like if i see a farmer outside like watering their lawn or something or like uh church or school or something with a water spigot out front like i am stopping and filling up my water bottles like i need yeah. something to hydrate me and uh Lo and behold, nobody's outside. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's no buildings. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be tough out in the country there. Like, yeah. What do you see? 
I mean, people have so much land out there. You should probably see a just cornfields, like a a house, a every house miles. every few miles. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And same with cars too. Like you're mm. just out there. I wanted to uh, talk about uh, nutrition a little bit for food. I like towards the end of it because I ran out of water too, and I was getting super hungry. So I was just like, I need to eat something. But I knew if I ate something, I would need to like wash it down with water to like. I was just like, well, I'm just gonna have a very dry mouth because I need food right now. I need some energy. Um, but I I really like having kind of a variety of everything. Like going from doing the Duluth, the first attempt on the Duluth ride of just gels. I was like, all right, that doesn't work. But it's nice to have like one or two gooch packets of like you know, the last resort energy if you need it towards the end of the race. And then I also liked having um, like a couple granola bars or like energy cliff bars or whatever, because those are really dense, but they also have a lot of nutrition in them. They're, it's not good. I don't really like eating. Off. That was the, the guy we were riding with. He solely ate just cliff bars. Yeah. I don't know how he managed that. Yeah. How much he, weight do you guys, as like the average rider kind of carry, do you think on these endurance races? Well, a lot of them, because they're doing it supported, they just have like two water bottles because right. all the food is at their car. How about like the unsupported ones that you guys do or some of the other guys that you've seen? I don't know. My bike is a steel bike, so it already weighs pretty much yeah. uh, quite a bit. And then on top of that, with all the food, my bike probably weighed like 45 pounds, 50 pounds okay. maybe. And yeah, so, uh, so sometimes you can plan gas stations and stuff because you know you can go in and buy a burger or like you yeah. know, some beef jerky or beef sticks or whatever. Um, so sometimes you can plan that and not have to carry a ton of food with you, but you still want to have nutrition on your bike. Yeah. And that's the thing. You can't just go 60 miles, eat a bunch of food and then go another 60 miles and eat a bunch more food. You got to be snacking slowly the whole time just so your body's constantly being fueled because you're constantly exerting energy. So you need to be constantly consuming energy. Um, and so some people will do the gas station thing, but I think, uh, you know, going for lightweight snacks or whatever, like, um, I, I usually do like a salty snack, like crackers or trail mix or something. Then I'll have like some granola or something sweet, like with chocolate in it and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Also, this time around with the day across Minnesota, I had gummy worms. Those, yeah. That was really awesome. The sugar, like quick energy. And then we also had, uh, we we did a PB&Js a while back for our Duluth trip. But now we one of our coworkers suggested this. This is a genius idea. Uh-huh. Have you heard of Uncrustables? Do you remember yeah, those? Yeah, yep. So we bought those, like, and they're pre-packaged. They're ready to go. All you got to do is rip it open and eat them. So we had, like, four or five of those stuffed in our jersey pockets and our bikes. Well, and you don't have, like, jelly squirting out the sides of the, the pieces of bread. So, like, yeah. it was yeah. just the best thing to just eat on the go. And it's sealed shut. Like, you don't have to think about it. And it's got everything. It's got peanut butter, jelly, and bread for carbs. And yep. it was great. And but it tastes really good. They're really small, though. So I, like, ate two of them at once sometimes. But that's, but that's good, too, because yeah. it's a smaller serving size. So, like we were saying, you want to eat small amounts off, and you just mm-hmm. have one of those and then wait a bit and then, like, snack on a handful of something else. And I really love uh, dot pretzels, too. Those were awesome. I had a bag of those and, like, a, a little uh, compartment on my frame bag. I could just, like, put a handful in, grab them in, like, a Ziploc bag. So that was nice to munch on. At yeah. these gas stations, do you guys find, like, your your average snack or, like, your sort of things that you go for directly? Like, uh, do you know what you want when you go to a gas station? Kind of. I just do hot food. So anything, you know, that's, like, preheated or ready to go, like mm-hmm. slices of pizza, you know, warmed up hamburgers or that kind of thing, or those, uh, like, you know, taquito rolls or I don't yep. know what they're called. But um, I know what you mean. So those, and then also I'll buy, like, a Gatorade or something, and then that's pretty much it. Just stuff okay. my face with hot food and a Gatorade. because right, that's, like, the nice amenity you don't get on the bike. You're yeah. sitting and snacking on food that's just you know dry food yeah whatever so candy that kind of thing so having hot food is a a nice pick-me-up 
Mm-hmm. And you learned on the uh, uh, day across Minnesota that chocolate's not uh, not as good of an idea in the no, summer. No, it, it was great. It was just once we hit that afternoon bag, yeah, I, I didn't eat it quick enough. That's what I learned. I should have oh. devoured it before it melted. I was yeah. going to say it was just like a melted ball. Yep. 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 <laughs> it was delicious, though. There's a little peanut butter in there. Um, but yeah, it's crazy how much we've learned since like that first Duluth trip to now this like most recent ride. We've like we have a setup. We kind of know like this is what we should plan for. And when we did the Duluth ride the second time, and we actually finished it in 22 hours, you know, a single ride there and back. We had we kept reminding ourselves like, all right, it's been half an hour, 45 minutes. Let's munch on something or like take a drink of water, or do something. So that was like really helpful to kind of learn more and like do that a second time around and be more prepared for it yep just have that schedule and again that's something that just breaks up the monotony of the ride so just like thinking about every every hour or every 45 minutes we got to eat something it's Mm -hmm. just one more thing to think about to take your mind off of the you know just long straight boring road ahead and then uh also i want to mention and talk start talking about sleep because i know sleep is a big question people always ask like going on these you know rides that usually start at midnight yeah. and then you're going like 24 hours 34 hours without sleeping um for alex and i or at least i spiz the drink we talked about that honestly has i don't know if there's any caffeine in it but no i don't think so it feels like it because it just that's the calories man your body's got energy yeah so that's a i like using that and i also like uh i buy a couple five-hour energies so those are really you know small compact and then those are loaded know, with just cocaine basically <laughs> Caffeine and B vitamins. <laughs> but um, but sometimes we do need sleep. Like when we were doing the Alexander race and our dad was uh, was being the support crew for us with the U-Haul, the, the original plan was to sleep in the trailer in that way because there was rain in the forecast and so the, the trailer was enclosed so we could, you know, roll out sleeping bags in there and stay dry because mm-hmm. we didn't know where it was going to be. It's not like we could... We had a, a plan to set up a tent at one spot, but the U-Haul is kind of the backup. And... Um, we got to the spot where we were thinking of doing the tenting, like ahead of time, we had kind of planned this out and it's a little, about halfway. And, uh, we were right up at the front of the pack with like the, you know, four or five people that were leading the, the race and we were feeling pretty good and like, okay, well they're still going, let's just keep going. Yeah. And so we just rode through it. We didn't stop to set up a tent or anything. And, uh, we weren't carrying the tent that was in the car that obviously that our dad was driving in. Um, we got to this point after the sun went down and it had rained and it was cold. It was and, windy too. And windy, yeah. And, you know, we had started at midnight in the dark, rode through a sunrise, biked all day, rode through a sunset, and then dealt with rain and cold and wind and got to this spot where three of the f- three of the four people we were with um, had a hotel reserved. And yeah. we, we knew this because we were chatting on the ride and so we're like, okay. Well, we we know that they're stopping. So if we can just get to that point and at least like make it there, mm-hmm. we know that they're not going to keep riding. And so there's a gas station in that little town, and we're stopped there. We're getting food. We're trying to evaluate the situation because it's, it's still raining at this point. Yeah, yeah. dry it's, out our clothes, and and that's the other thing. So comfort is huge. We've learned that too. So yeah. like dry socks are really important. Like keeping your feet because your feet hurt. Like your it's the contact points on your bike, your hands, your feet, your seat. Yeah, especially on the gravel, your wrists and your hands get so sore from yeah. all the bumps. Yep. And so that was a big thing, and uh, we were just waiting it out to see what was going to happen. Our dad uh, had met us in that town, so he was there too, and 
we were kind of evaluating whether we wanted to nap there or not and just get a few hours of sleep and keep going. And that's what we were leaning towards. That's that's what the plan was. And then uh, this guy, Seth Wood, that uh, we had kind of been riding with for a while, uh, he was on a single-speed bike. He had no gears. And he was doing this insane gravel race with all of these hill climbs. And, like, some of them that were really gnarly, he'd get off his bike and walk up it. But mm-hmm. he was just always moving forward. He just kept going. Mm-hmm. And so his the tortoise and the hare kind of thing. Like, yeah. he was going a little slower, but... He, he just kept going. Yeah, yeah never give up. And he, he's done these. He knows what he's doing. He's got the experience. And so he rolls up to the gas station, goes in, gets like his burger and snacks or whatever in a Gatorade, uh, swaps out the plastic bags that are over his feet to keep his socks dry. And uh, we're... He was chatting with us for a little bit and like uh-huh. asking if we were going to keep going. And then he was asking about the other couple uh, people, that couple and that other guy we were riding with. We're just like, no, they got hotels. They're sleeping. Like we're, we're the, we're still up and in first right now. And he was just like wide eyed, like his face lit up. Yeah. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Cause and, he was trying to win this thing. That was his objective. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of got us motivated. He goes, yeah, you guys could do it. Just go a little further. Just Go a little further. Uh-huh. So we we got a little inspiration. We're just like, okay, oh, I guess we're gonna do this. And we yeah. just wanted to get it over with. Because I think we had what like 120 miles left or something. Like, yeah, this was like that gas station was like mile 240 ish, mm-hmm. and this is at like you know, 12 30, 1 in the morning right now. Yep. So we've been up for over 24 hours, and we're we just got a refill. Like we got some coffee, we got some warm food, and then Seth showed up and. Yeah. So, so then we threw on rain jackets, <laughs> geared up our stuff, yeah. greased, greased the chain or whatever. And he had taken off. He was like, you know, five minutes ahead of us. And so then we were just taking our time. We're like, whatever, as long as we're moving, we're moving. Like Seth's going to take it. And mm-hmm. uh, so we, we were trying to, but we knew he was on a single speed. So we're like, maybe we can catch him on some of the hill climbs if he's walking or whatever. So we take off down Main Street with all our gear and lights going. And you can see his blinking light in the distance just fading away. And uh, a f- what i don't know like 10 miles down the road or something five miles we ended up catching up to him on one of the uphills yeah out of town and he had his headphones in just jamming to his music and like we're going up this big giant hill and then we're coming down this big giant hill and then uh we go up another big giant hill and down another one and then ian and i both kind of look over at each other and he's like yeah, were you uh, were you kind of like nodding off on that hill? And I was just like, yeah, dude, I felt like I was about to fall asleep. Like, where you you're blinking and then you kind of open your eyes and like, I don't know how long I had my eyes closed, yeah. like that kind of thing. And these are hills, gravel roads in the dark at night. But dangerous. Yeah, you're going 35, 40 miles an hour down some of these. That fast? Yeah. yeah. And so we're just kind of like, you know, for safety reasons, we should not be riding our bikes anymore right now. Like, my body is telling me that I need sleep. And we've ridden, what, 240 miles over the course of 24 hours. Like, yeah, that's that's a valid thing that your body's trying to tell you. And Mm -hmm. we're the first time doing it. We're not like Seth where he's just an animal. And he claims it's because he's a dad and he has kids. He's like, I've got superpowers. I just don't (laughs) need sleep. But we're not there yet. So So at that point, our dad had left that that gas station when we took off and so he was you know waiting at that next place 60 miles 50 miles down the road or whatever and we had only gotten like 15 20 miles from the gas station and barely have cell service we're in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. we're at the top of a hill it's windy and like drizzling yeah and cold and we have no layers all of our clothes and stuff are in the car we have nothing on (laughs) oh no we don't have a sleeping bag we don't have anything yep and 
you're out up by these farm fields. There's no shelter anywhere to get out of this stuff. And so I like finally find some service to call my dad. And I'm just like, we're, we need sleep. Like we need to at least get a couple hours. Can you meet us at this intersection of this and this? And it was like, one of them was a paved road, I think. And then it turned into gravel on the T that's where we were turning. Yeah. And, um, so it was like somewhat of a highway. It's not like we were super out in the middle of nowhere, but we were, you know, half an hour at least from where he was. Mm -hmm. And so we're sitting there waiting and, we're waiting and I'm just like, I, I don't want to stand. I'm just going to lay down here in this grass and like the ditch. And I had my sleep or my, uh, not my sleeping bag, my rain jacket zipped all the way up with the hood up. So it's like totally around me, like a little shell. And I was just sitting there with my arms crossed my legs crossed, trying to keep all the body heat in. (laughs) And, uh, I was just laying there. And then all of a sudden the kind of like same thing where you like blink and you're like, how long are my eyes closed? And like, I look at I'm like, when did I call my dad? What time was that? And I look at my phone for outgoing calls and it was an hour ago. Oh. And I'm just like, okay, so we were asleep for like, you know, 45 minutes or so. And where the hell is dad? Like, (laughs) (laughs) We're just in the ditch. You're in a car. We're cold. We have no shelter. Like, this is real. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, that was kind of the oh shit moment. Uh Uh-huh. And um, I'm trying to call him. No answer. Try calling him again. No answer. And we're like, he hasn't slept at all either this whole yeah. time. So he's sleep deprived and driving around with towing a U-Haul. And we're just like, did something happen with the car? Like, what's going on? Yeah, we're is, freaking out a little bit. Does he not have service? Does his phone die? Like, um, and finally get a hold of him on the phone. He's like, yeah, I'm like, you know, 10 minutes away. I'll be there in 10 minutes, whatever. And so, because we had propped our bikes up on the sign right at the corner there with the lights blinking. So just, you could see them. Yeah. So that way, like, if we're sleeping in the ditch, we're just like... probably couldn't see two dudes just curled <laughs> yeah, up in a ditch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had our we had the, the headlights just on, like, flashing strobe right there. So that way he'd see where our bikes were and where we were. But, yeah, that was, a, that was kind of a scary moment. Yeah. Being out there without any amenities, without any of the gear, and being novice endurance riders and not knowing how to mm-hmm. react in those situations... Uh, that was a very real fear. <laughs> Thankfully, our dad showed up like, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes after that. And then we got some sleep in the car, probably like, I don't know, two hours, two and a half hours yep. of sleep. So we didn't even set up the sleeping bags in the U-Haul. We just slept in the car with the car running. Yeah. And the heat was on blast. Cause we were like, we don't want to waste the time getting stuff set up. We just want to get like an hour or two of sleep and get back on the bikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hardest part that was getting up out of uh, that car. Because <laughs> I it, imagine we're... You know, you slept for a couple hours, so your body just wants to keep sleeping. Yes. Hey, guys, just 100 more miles to go. And you're in wet, sweaty clothes. Yeah, as soon as you stand outside, it's cold and windy again, and you're just like, oh, my God. And everything's stiff because we were just sleeping in chairs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're literally shivering. I I mentally, I was at the point where I'm like, dude, do we call it? Like, we could just get a ride home right here and just continue sitting in this car. And Ian was like, no, we got to do it. And like, my dad's telling me to get going. I was like, I don't have the gear for this. I don't have a hat. I don't have like, yeah, long you were sleeves. freaking out. I was like, this is cold and wet and I don't have the right clothes for this. And my dad had a hat that he just keeps in the car for like emergencies in the winter or whatever. And he's like, here, wear this. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and that fine. was enough. And well, and it was dark out at that point too. I was like, let's sleep for another hour till the sun starts coming up. Once the sun's coming up, it'll be like a little more motivator. I think we ended up total with like two or three hours of sleep. Because mm-hmm. I think it was like three. It was like two wow. thirty or three in the morning when he got there. Yeah. When we stopped or whatever it was. And but we finally got out of the car. It was maybe like four four thirty when we started biking again. Yeah. And then the sun started creeping up at like five fifteen five thirty. Yeah. And we didn't know how long those people at that town with the hotel were going to sleep. We yeah. didn't know if they were spending the whole night there or if they were going to do a half a night and keep biking. So we're kind of in this 
uh, unknown where we don't know if they've passed us. We don't right. know if they're still behind us. But in the gravel, you could see how many bike trails have gone by because oh. nobody's on these roads. And so we're like, oh, it's just Seth ahead of us. Still. Yeah, <laughs> we just saw the one the one tire tracks. Yeah, that was an experience trying to figure out sleep. So like that was the first kind of experience with it. And then when we tried Duluth a second time, we were just like, well, we did, you know, we went 240 miles without sleeping. Like we could do the... The full trip was, I think, like 300 and... 330-ish. Yeah. We were just like, we could do that. Because if we do it in under 24 hours, you know, that's that's not that bad. We only have to hold a pace like 15, 16 miles an hour. Right. And so, and the other part of it, too, we were doing... If we finished during the day or at, like, before 24 hours, we didn't have to go through another cycle of night, which is also, I think, what messed us up, going yep. through night a second time. Absolutely. But... Yeah, that was honestly my favorite thing about doing the alexander race was we started at midnight right and Mm -hmm. then so we biked through a sunrise and then like the second night we had slept for a few hours in the car and then we got to bike through a second sunrise so like you just experiencing that on a bike when you're in the middle of nowhere like getting there entirely on your own power is just this really surreal feeling yeah but that's like those little rewards where you don't really appreciate it in the moment just because everything hurts but then afterwards it's like that was really cool Yeah. yeah I could imagine on a bike, you guys see a lot of stuff along the way. You oh, yeah. see any interesting things or cool the, sights? The cat. Yeah. <laughs> Tell them about the cat story. Oh, man. So this was that same Alexander race we were doing. Um, I, it was, like, just after this really gnarly downhill, I actually lost one of the water bottles that was on, like, this seat-mounted thing I had. And, uh, we go by... Another thing we see a lot, too, going by all these farmhouses is farm dogs. Yeah. They... They're just, vicious. They're just outside. They're not on a leash. They're not whatever. They're just like free range dogs yep. in the on the farm, and they hate it when strangers come up. And yep. so we're biking by it, like you know, fifteen twenty miles an hour, when it, depending on the hill or whatever. And mm-hmm. they come out chasing you, just barking and nar- like snarling at you. And um, <laughs> so we came down this really big hill and kind of pushed away from the people that were right behind us and. Uh, we're like, well, that dog's out in the street now, so it's like ready for whoever's coming next. <laughs> Good luck, guys. Yeah, we felt a little bit bad, but yeah, little uh, diversion. But then, so just after that, we're going down this same road, and we come up to another house, and there's no dogs or anything, but there's this cat like in the middle of the road, and then it just starts running because we're flying. We just came down this big hill, and we're going at like 20 miles an hour at yeah. least. And the cat's just sprinting straight forward at 20 miles an hour. Following us on the side of the road. It was like 100 feet. I'm like, dude, like, turn, go somewhere else. (laughs) But directly to the left side, because it was on the left side of the road running next to us, is like a 30-foot drop straight down to, like, trees. And then, like, the farm field field that's 30 feet below with all this, like, rocky, bouldery, hard dirt. And so it's this cat's just sprinting. And then all of a sudden just leaps to the left off of this cliff. And then we're like, what the hell just happened? And it just, like, bounces off the ground and then keeps sprinting. (laughs) And we're like, how is it alive? Like, that was insane. But uh, we definitely scared the shit out of that cat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it was like, yeah, like, six or seven in the morning. Like, it's not thinking anybody's going to be outside. Yeah, I was thinking, is it, like, dark out or is it the middle of the day? No, the sun was kind of coming up. Yeah, this was, like, the morning, the first morning after the... That was a crazy experience. (laughs) That was really cool. And then, yeah, other wildlife of uh you sometimes you just hear like very large like rustling in the trees and you don't know what's over there yeah and it's kind of just like i'm just gonna keep biking <laughs> yeah the uh the mountain bike race we did the wasa 24 that was when i experienced the kind of like you're on a single track like 13 mile loop and you have 24 hours and however many loops you so, can do so what is single hours. track 
Uh, it's a mountain bike trail, so basically just like a dirt trail with trees and brush all around you, filled with like rocks and roots everywhere. Um, it's a single track. It's just basically like the just wider than a width of your tire. It's right. probably like, like what you'd picture a hiking trail or something, maybe. Oh, yeah. okay. I was okay. Gotcha. Like you know, down by the river bottoms, yep. like yeah. those kind of trails. That's single track. But um, so the in the middle of the night, where it's like two in the morning, and you just hear the like you can hear owls and other like random you know animals making noises and there's mice running across the trail and it's just the scariest yeah, lots shit lots of bats yeah but <clears throat> but it's cool it's a how, diff- how easy is it to see in the dark on those like especially on the mountain bike trails and stuff it's a little bit different than an open gravel road and yeah with those we had to use uh these really high powered lights that have like these giant battery packs and they're like a thousand lumens so they're just insanely bright yeah. which uh is super helpful because then you can actually see but then it's also a little bit creepy because you can see like another headlight of another biker you know like six miles up somewhere yeah. well and to that same point of hearing stuff in the trees like you're kind of zigzagging through the woods so like there could be other bikers you know 10 feet to your left but you don't know where the trails kind of come close to each other but then you hear these really loud noises and there's no headlights over there so you know it's <laughs> not a biker <laughs> those uh those ones get kind of uh interesting too at night like i love night riding it's a different environment it's just it's cool and you get to see some cool wildlife and it's not something you get every day but um you're just looking down this trail with like this perfect circle of you know what you see in front of you and there's like a little bit of trees on the left a little bit of trees on the right and then the path going straight down the middle Mm -hmm. then even as you're moving there might be like some rocks or whatever (laughs) but this scene is exactly the same so it's really easy to just kind of get lost in this daze of like I'm not moving. This is just the same thing. And yeah. your brain kind of just decides to not work anymore. Cause it's like, Oh, whatever. It's just the same thing over and over, but yeah. it's not, the terrain is constantly changing. And then that's also when you start picking like the really bad lines. So that's like when you're going through a really rocky section or like big, uh, big boulders and stuff, your brain, you know, doesn't pick an, a, an easy line. So, you know, picking the best route right. to go you get through. sloppy. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're going to hit, hit a bunch of really big boulders that you could have easily avoided but your brain just doesn't work you get hypnotized yeah Yeah. that's exactly that's like the perfect way to describe it but that was a interesting race and then in the morning after we had rode all through the night and the day i was waiting at the like the transition area where you have to tap out to uh, uh like transition the riders and i was falling asleep just on the side of the hill waiting for you to come come through just because i was so tired because i don't know mm-hmm riding yeah so one thing i've gotten asked a lot too about these like i know the the wausau 24 hour race like i experienced this a lot just mm-hmm. because it was so rocky and like mountain bike trail really bumpy but people always ask like doesn't your ass get sore oh like, yeah how do you sit on a bike seat for that long and i it does get sore it hurts and like we've got the bike chamois which have a pad in them and there's chamois cream which is like i don't know like a lotion or like you know whatever for your ass for, basically yeah. ass lotion yeah yeah but honestly it's amazing yeah it is it's such a savior it works really well it's some good ass lotion <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and that's the thing too it's just like putting the miles in like the more you ride the more your body's going to be used to it and comfortable and having the right seat is a big thing too yeah no i problem. i always try and ride uh with a leather seat it's called the brooks like b17 standard saddle it's like it's a very um well known for the leather kind of forming to your ass so it's just the most comfy seat you can ever have yeah, essentially really customized to the shape of your cheeks your butt your cheeks <laughs> but yeah that's that's a real thing but like i said the more you do it the more your 
body just gets used to it and like you get calluses or you know just mm-hmm. familiarity with it well it sucks though if you have you know you wet sweaty yeah. clothes and then you know you start chafing so it is nice too if you can have a dry set of like clothes you can change into mm-hmm. so then it's like fresh and it's not wet and gross and 100 percent. that's kind of helps um <clears throat> yeah we've been talking for a long time yeah <laughs> I, I wanted to ask also like mechanically what do you have to do for your bike do you have to i mean you talk about greasing your chain a lot yeah so that was something that never dawned on us till we did this day across minnesota gravel race because it was hot and dry when we did the alexander on gravel it was rainy and wet yeah so this one it was super super dusty and dust and like mechanical chains don't really yeah, get along no. and so after we hit the halfway point my bike was just making these terrible creaking grinding noises yeah. And I thought it was going to just like snap in half or break apart and like I'd be done. But all these other people I learned have, you know, their support crews just re-greasing their chain and stuff. I'm like, I didn't even think to bring chain lube with yeah. me on this kind of a ride. And that's when you need it the most because like you can feel the resistance as you're pedaling, yeah. trying to fight against all this dirt in your chain that's just, you know, dr- sucking all of the lubrication off of there. But so. We've been actually pretty fortunate not having any mechanical issues and knock on wood, but... Um, the, we always keep like the essentials, you know, like, uh, we, I think keeping a, like a hand pump is a lot better than like a CO2 cartridge. Cause mm-hmm. those you can only use once, yep. you know, like a hand pump you can use is infinite. Yeah. And then also a multi-tool. So you got like little Allen wrenches and screwdrivers and stuff so you can change stuff out. And then, uh, it's one thing that's kind of a, uh, I don't know, derailleur hangers. You keep one of those and that basically attaches on to the, um, the rear, uh, derailleur which is kind of like the shifting mechanism for your gears mm. sometimes those bend if you fall you know if you fall on the one side it could bend the derailleur the derailleur hanger so those are nice to have but that's kind of a one-off scenario mm-hmm. and that's more mountain biking because like your steel frame bike is yeah the derailleur is part integrated of the, yeah into the frame um, yeah i always have a spare tube obviously and that kind of thing but it's those little things you pick up like chain lube like as you're doing several hundred miles you're gonna need to take care of some of those things which you don't think about on a daily bike ride yeah mm-hmm. but yeah I that's don't a know. lot of stuff you got to take into account yeah that's the whole learning curve of <clears throat> and we're still learning endurance like, biking every bike time racing. we do a new race we're learning something new every time which is pretty cool mm-hmm. it's like we're just learning little things here and there like oh i've never thought about that like uncrustables that's genius uncrustables. Like, <laughs> well and so the next kind of uh endeavor that we have is a couple of these endurance races that are in the winter yeah there's one in like that was our whole reason for doing the the alexander race was to kind of build up that race racer resume for the arrowhead which is in january uh starts at the canadian border in minnesota and it's on snowmobile trail the whole whole way but we're familiar with all these these races in this long distance but kind of getting into that in the winter when it's like sub-zero degrees out mm-hmm. that's a whole other can of worms like we got to figure out so many more things and we haven't had a ton of experience with that yet so that's going to be something new and something uh challenge, be fun challenging it's exciting but also like the danger aspect of it because it's yeah, very real going out for these rides in the summer you just got to make sure you got food and water that's the big thing stay hydrated but if you're outside in the cold and you don't have the right gear like you could you frostbite could freeze, yeah. yeah so That'll be the next thing. Do you guys talk to anyone about kind of like things you'll need? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've talked to a bunch of people at work that are have been into it and kind of gotten familiar with it. But uh, it's either way until you experience it. I mean, you don't really know. Um, 
Yeah, the one, the most important thing I think with the winter stuff is that you got to have like obviously all the right gear, and with the we have to have like special rated sleeping bags that are rated to like negative forty degrees, and that's a big sleeping bag. So you have to figure out where to put all this stuff on your bike because you need to have way more food with you. You also need to have food that doesn't freeze. You know, you don't want to eat something that's like rock hard. Oh yeah. So that's also something that we got to figure out anymore. Exactly. (laughs) And and your water. Yeah, like you can't just have a water bottle on your frame because it's going to turn into an ice cube. Mm-hmm. So how do you carry water and be able to drink it? And then it's going to be in some kind of zipper insulated thing. How do you open these zippers with clo- with gloves on? How do you do all this without, you know, exposing your skin? So that's going to be the next thing. Yeah. It's yeah. uh what are you going to say? I was just there you go. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, it's a uh, it's been a really fun in in Denver though and I really it's super exciting to just kind of push the boundary of like how far can you pedal on a bike in one ride? You know, we did this, like what's next. We did, we biked across Minnesota. Like we've done that before. We biked to Duluth and back in one ride. Like it's pretty cool just to see, you know, what's possible. Yep. Got to push the limits. Uh, so we're going to be wrapping up pretty soon, but I wanted to quickly talk about kind of the takeaways and like things that we've learned over these past, you know, four, three races we've done. What do you what do you think is the most uh, kind of valuable stuff that you've learned? Um, well, kind of like Eli had pointed out, you know, the ups and downs just kind of relate to life, and that's what it is. But it's like riding a bicycle; you gotta just keep moving forward. Yeah, it's the, it's the <laughs> simplest thing, and like all you gotta do is pedal. But when you gotta pedal for forty yeah, hours, just keep yeah. pedaling. That's all it is. <laughs> pedal, eat food, drink water. Never uh, has finding Nemo made so much sense. Right, just keep swimming. <laughs> yeah, man, just keep riding the wave. The uh, probably one of the biggest ones I've taken away is how much more I can appreciate like being when you're out riding a bike for so long. It's like you're just there's nothing else that matters. You're just sitting here pedaling a bike. You know you are in the present, and that's really cool. You're you're not thinking about anything else in the in the world except for pedaling and like looking around you notice so much more you're not thinking about work you're not thinking about school you're not thinking about any other obligations you have mm-hmm. you're just solely focused on what's around you which is really awesome because i think I, yeah definitely yep 100 percent. i just love that feeling of being out in the middle of absolutely nowhere getting there entirely on your own power because mm-hmm. like you see some awesome sights like we were saying you know you bike through some really cool sunrises you get to see just really awesome scenery that Sure, you could go drive there, but you're not going to appreciate it the same way. And then when you get to that finish, you just you have such a feeling of accomplishment. You're just like, oh, wow, yeah. like I yeah. did that. I can't imagine even biking like 380 miles. That's insane. Well, it's like, the that's thing kinda... everybody always says, like, I don't even want to drive that far. Yeah. But... <laughs> so don't, right? So it. what would that take to drive 380 miles just on like a highway at like 60, 65 miles an hour? Like what's that? Probably four hours. Yeah. Four, four and a half hours. About. That's crazy. Yeah, some people don't like driving. <laughs> you guys bike it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, next race we got coming up, uh, the next big one is called the Tuscobia. It's a 160-mile fat bike winter race. Uh, it's over in Wisconsin. I forget what city. I'm not sure. It's like north-central Wisconsin. But it's a all-ski or snowmobile trail, and it's basically like uh, out and back. So you're on this snowmobile trail for like, 80 miles and then you get to this town and then you turn around and then you ride the same trail back 80 miles okay so it's pretty i guess boring scenery which is going to be the hardest challenge i think because we're going to be looking at the same stuff well and i think the biggest challenge too with winter racing is 
it's winter, so the sun goes down earlier. Yeah. So I, it's cold because it's winter, but then it gets colder because the sun goes down for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys ever have those hand warmers? Yeah. Little, little hand warmer packet things. Yeah, that you, we'll like, use those. And... I, I got pretty bad frostbite like seven or eight years ago, so my toes are prone to getting cold quicker. Okay. So that's like a different thing I have to deal with and mm-hmm. i've been experimenting with different stuff like aluminum foil or like bags around your feet and i use toe warmers constantly but those don't seem to last for more than like 45 minutes right. or an hour for me um so just figuring out the right footwear yeah and then um also figuring out uh lights and stuff because all of our batteries die quicker yeah because it's colder so. and so a lot of people will keep uh their external battery packs and lights and stuff in a like a bag or a frame bag or whatever on their bike and they actually keep hand warmers in there with the batteries so the batteries don't freeze to keep them warm so they last longer that's something i don't know if i would think about exactly and i know yeah. I, I wouldn't have either until i start talking to people and figure mm-hmm. out these little tricks but yeah it's a whole new realm yeah so we have yet to explore of what you know how to deal with these scenarios so that's going to be new for this year but then it's also fun because we you know we've done these summer ultra races and now it's kind of cool to try something different it's like all right well, we've done all this in the summer what what can we use that we've learned in the summer that might work in the winter that applies to it yeah, yeah. the other thing too you could say you know tuscobie is 160 miles and we've done this 400 miles so it's like oh it's a piece of cake but you're on a fat bike with four or five inch wide tires different realm yeah in, in snow so you're moving at maybe six miles an hour at most so you're scenery passes by real slow yeah yeah <laughs> and it's a lot longer too because you're going six miles an hour so you're mm-hmm. going to be out that much longer you're going to yeah. be on the bike for that much longer right <clears throat> but this race is also a uh, prerequisite same with the arrowhead to uh the idita bike which is a very big yeah bet. if you know like the idita rod sled dog race uh, across alaska it's basically that on bikes so what is it there's like a is it a 300 mile yeah 300 500 and then uh thousand yeah wow you cross the state of pretty much i mean it's a a large portion of the state of alaska and you just have to get from point a to b there's no map it's up in alaska yeah yeah. oh there's there's no route you can go however you like you just have to get from a to b and you're crossing several mountain passes and all this stuff so it's that's crazy it's nuts yeah that's on the watch out for grizzly bears (laughs) yeah that one's a serious survival race (laughs) yeah I i don't know if we're ready for that but yeah, it's on the bucket list a couple years down the road or something. Did you have any last questions or thoughts you want to say to the people or ask us? Um, I don't think so. Covered a lot. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Do you have any last words? Uh, ride your bike. That's all I got. <laughs> oh, that reminds me, actually. So uh, people ask about training. Just bike to work. Like, that's what we do, honestly, to train for these long rides. If you bike to work every day, it's like your body's just going to get in that, you know, motion of constantly pedaling, which is a super easy way to train because you don't have to go out of your way to go for a long ride on the weekend or whatever just bike to work or drive if you live you know 40 miles away from work you could drive part way and then Mm. bike from where you you parked right that's a that's one thing that we've been doing quite a bit is just biking to work every day which i think helps long term because then you know we're used to just sitting on the bike constantly Mm -hmm. and then my uh whenever i get in the car to go get groceries or run errands the gas tank's always full it's a (laughs) win-win cool uh this wraps up another podcast uh thank you everyone for listening i really appreciate you sincerely um 
if you want to check out my website, uh, it's themakehappiness.com. There'll be a link in the description. So there's clothes you can buy. There's a blog you can read up about some other ultra races that I've, that we've done. Alex actually has a blog that he wrote about his first uh, 100 miles that he uh, biked alone, which is kind of interesting. So that was cool. Yeah. Guest blog. <laughs> but yeah. Um, take care and uh, always remember, make some happiness. Yeah.